America. Genesis chapter 17. And the psalms we sang all were about him, and I, I hope you saw something of that. <clears throat> when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am. Where's atheism? <laughs> I am. And not that, not only that, I am God Almighty, the all-powerful one who spoke and things which hadn't existed sprang into existence in time and space. I am God Almighty, walk before me, live, move, have our being. And yes, in this context, walk will be significant two chapters later. Abraham and Isaac are going to take a three-day walk. And we'll hopefully look at that next week. That long three-day walk to the place where you are to kill your covenant son. I'll tell you what, that would have made a long three days, wouldn't it? Walk before me. And if that's what he calls us to do is walk through suffering, anguish, pain, fear, we don't walk alone. He walks with us. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. That is to say, do what I said. And don't do what I said don't do. I believe that if you were an absolute pagan, but you followed the injunctions of Scripture, you would have a better life. If you are in sync with the God who made it all, it will be a better life. Because He made it to reflect Him. And if you don't see God in your daily life, you need to look harder. He is there, the artistry of our God, driving out I-70. Y'all have done that. <laughs> you see the handiwork of God. And I will make my covenant between me and you. Watch, who's the subject of that sentence? I, this Jehovah God, I will. This isn't, oh, I hope. It would be nice to think, well, it's my goal to, no, I will. And you can build a life on the I will of our God. I will make my covenant between me and you. And you'll notice I'm not doing, first of all, a reading of this and then going back, uh, time constraints. By the way, are we due to be done by 1.30? Somebody give me a time. 11, 11.30, 11.45? Quarter till or shortly thereafter. Okay. Somebody blow the whistle at a quarter till. <laughs> I will make my covenant between me and you. The most common theology in American Christianity is free will. Is that not true? Guilt manipulation passes for preaching. You have to choose Jesus. We just watched the opposite of that, didn't we? God's saying, I've blessed them and blessed them and blessed them, and now you are a part of my covenant community, my relationship community. You have a right as a child to call on me as your heavenly Father. I will make my covenant 
This isn't something I came up with or our church came up with. Human, humanly written paragraphs about what we believe or what we think may sound nice. God will never ask you about that stuff. What's the big question in the judgment day? What do you think of my son? What do you think about my son? Did you do what he said? My covenant. I don't initiate it. I don't set the terms. He did. And it's an act of love. How liberating to know that we are in sync with the God of the universe, therefore with the universe, therefore with the people of God. I will make my covenant between me and you. And there are two ways that, that you, one is singular. A person must come to Christ on his or her own. Yes. But God puts us in covenant communities. I will make my covenant between me and y'all. You aren't very southern, are you? <laughs> y'all. And will multiply you exceedingly. Back up. What does God say is the solution for the mess that Adam created by his sin? The seed of the woman. Anytime you see the word descendants, remember it goes back to that. But the descendant is Christ. Is Jesus. That historic person. So any of this stuff about descendants or offspring is focused on Christ. He is not absent from the Old Testament. He absolutely fills it up. <clears throat> I will multiply you exceedingly, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Christ. It may look like we're losing. In every war, the, whichever side is ultimately the winner has had losses. There are losses. There are hard times. There are bad times. But we don't go through that alone. Our denomination doesn't go through that alone. The people of God don't go through that alone. He, the good shepherd of His people, is leading the flock. And sometimes, I've been in the Middle, in the Middle East, and sometimes they are leading them through a barren desert. And sometimes the sheep fall. They're dehydrated. And the shepherd picks them up one at a time and walks them forward to the water they need and the feed they need. He does that with us. In the middle of a country hostile to God, hostile to Christ, hostile to Christianity, hostile to any kinds of standards except my own opinion, he, the good shepherd, takes care of us. <clears throat> Abraham fell on his face, verse 3, Abram fell on his face and said to him, Behold, open your eyes, take a look. My covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Now watch this. You'll see it over and over in this passage and on through Genesis 22. The multitude of nations. What was the last thing Jesus said to his disciples? right before the ascension, going to all the, all the world and preach the gospel. The nations are to hear the gospel. And insofar as we don't share that, day by day, week by week, month by month, 
we are failing in one of our God-given missions. The gospel isn't for us to feel pretty good about ourselves. We got this good theology figured out. No. The gospel is for the down and the out. It's for the rich as well as the poor. It is for everybody. And part of why I'm excited about the Reformed Presbyterian Church is we finally got back to that. We have historically been an evangelical, evangelistic, mission-oriented, gospel-centered church. And it is to our shame that much of that fell away. And so I read with some excitement, genuine excitement, churches in Pakistan, two of them, you've got to be kidding me. If you understand Hinduism at all, they are in danger every moment of every day. Churches in the Muslim countries, in Nigeria, there are 500,000 members of one denomination of an evangelical church. What happens in Nigeria if those other folks, those herders, find out you're a Christian? They kill you, and that's the nicest thing they do is kill you. I can't tell you what all they do. You can't mention it. It would scar people. We have churches there. People who are carrying the gospel. We've kind of gotten this figured out. Disciple people, but remember, you're discipling them to disciple others. It isn't so we can have a church. It is so that unbelievers can come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ and become a part of the family. Christ came for the nations, and we as a denomination, I need to not get off on this any farther, but we are very involved in church missions. South Sudan, who would have thought about a church? I don't know. Are you aware of the beginnings of that church? It was at the hands of the Muslim from the north were sending their soldiers, supposed soldiers, down to the south, and their pay was what they could steal, kidnap the people and bring them up and sell them, and whatever you want to do to anybody is fine. And it was as Christians were being tortured to death, they were screaming out the gospel to their torturers. And a whole bunch of those hardcore Muslim from the north came to know Christ. In part, some of you have some connections to Iowa. I hope you know that the leader of South Sudan early on was an Iowa State graduate. We've had some contacts. My point is, the gospel is for the nations, and this denomination has gotten back to that. We could talk a lot more about, uh, about missions, and I think God's blessing. What's happening to the church here? Is it growing? As there is increased obedience there, there is increased growth here. I'm tickled pink. You will be a father to a multitude of Gentiles. Your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham, the father of a multitude, because I have made you, I made you, the father of a multitude of nations, Matthew 28, 18. <clears throat> How about prosperity? <laughs> the Americans like the prosperity gospel, right? I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And so the nations come out of the seed of Abraham, some by Ishmael, some by Isaac. I will make, I will. Notice the verb again. 
will make you fruitful and make nations of you. Kings will come forth from you. Who's the king? Christ. I will establish my covenant. There is no dickering. Uh, you read some theological stuff, and uh, the first thing they do, define covenant. It's a negotiated uh, settlement, an agreement between people. Uh, I don't see any of that here. Do you? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, what do you say, Abe? Would you like to, I'll trade you this for, that's not what I read. I will establish my covenant. And not just between you and me, but you and me and your descendants. Baptism. Baptism. That's, that is the promise. That is the foretaste. Seeing this work out. And kids, it's, by the way, it's kind of fun. Some of these younger people, how did they get this old? They should be in junior high. You. <laughs> God's raising up another generation. Praise God. Let's rejoice. And not, oh, I'm so happy. Your descendants. And we are not simply descendants of Abraham, but of God. He is our father. Jesus is our brother. We have a different family than the neighbor across the street. And I'll do this throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. It is eternal in the heavens. Any contract you sign here, the day that you die, it's over. Right? They, can't hold, they can't hold you to it. This covenant doesn't end. This covenant is what makes the grave a place of victory. Yep, that worn out body laid to rest. But the, the souls of believers are at death made perfect and to enter into their rest. We continue there in heaven the blessings that were announced here and elsewhere in the Old Testament as well. I will be, it will be an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan. Free will? No. Predestination? Yeah. God's election? So I'm going to do this. I'll take you. He's God. He has the right to do that. An everlasting possession, heaven itself, far better than anything we've got here. Americans are so sold out to the religion of self, my, me, mine. It's, it's very important to die filthy rich. When you die filthy rich, what happens? You're dead. <laughs> and all that stuff that my friends have worked hard, so hard for, lie, cheat, steal, work so much they didn't have time to be a father or a husband, we're amassing the wealth of the world. And you know I'm a great man because I own five cars. Right? No, at death. The soul that has known Jesus Christ in this life is greatly enriched as we are taken out of this body, this world of woe, and set in the house of God among the people of God, separate from sin, from their sin, yep, and from my sin. 
I do think it's interesting how many people have told me that they know they're going to heaven, and the bottom line is because I know somebody who's worse than I am. No, that's not it. <laughs> we have good news to share. The gospel is not me trying to pound on you about your religion. We don't do that. We share a positive word. The gospel is positive in this life and in the life to come. And by the way, women, you don't need to listen to this. Guys, I, I am not preaching to you exactly, but one of America's most major failings, and there are many, is that men quit being men. I'm the biggest adolescent in my house. I can push people around. I drink the beer, smoke the dope, and run the clicker for the TV. And we left the job of discipling our children to our wives. And frankly, I was guilty of that. I was a soldier. I was sold out. I was doing good things, okay? That's fine. A woman alone cannot do what God intended a husband and wife to do. And there is a call here to Abraham, you man up and work with your descendants. There's a call here to us, every one of us. And it isn't just enough to say, well, my youngest turned 18, he's out of the house, now I can go back to the clicker. We have a job to disciple our grandkids. And I, I was back here a few minutes ago, flipped back to Psalm 76, and that's not the right one. <laughs> one of them talks about your descendants and your seed and so on. I counted that. There are seven generations spoken of there. Seven. Well, how about seven generations spoken of there. Our job is not done until the seventh generation of our descendants are walking with the Lord. Grandparents cannot check out or great-grandparents can't check out. We still have a job to do. And there is some power in praying with your grandkids or great-grandkids. And that's a part of our covenantal obligation, generation to generation. Verse 10. This is my covenant you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be. This isn't optional. Nice idea. Well, but the kid doesn't know enough to make a credible profession of faith, so we'll wait until they're 15 and, and halfway sold out to Satan already, and then we'll talk about the gospel. In the meantime, we'll have children's church so they can be over here eating pizza and hearing nice little stories. That's not what this is talking about. Kids need to grow up knowing they're in the covenant. And they need to be treated as a part of the covenant family, not somebody that we, we ship off and get rid of. And I discovered this in Kansas, and I'm sure it is true, plenty of other places. The parents want school to run later in the spring and start earlier in the fall. Parents do. Why? But one of the real bottom lines is because it's free babysitting. The parents aren't going to the school and saying to the teacher, how's my Johnny doing? 
And when the teacher gives negative feedback, do they go home and take care of Johnny? Some of you are almost as old as I am. A couple of you will be pretty close. We didn't act up because we knew the school wasn't going to do anything. But you get home and mama going to take care of you. And when dad comes home, dad going to take care of you. Uh, and there's nothing that that goes on. Parents aren't doing their job parenting, uh, not even non-Christianly. The church is called, I think, among other things, to demonstrate parenting. And I get excited when I'm around Christian couples and I see in their kids the work of the Lord, the work of the Holy Spirit. This covenant baptism was given before the kid could confess anything. Didn't know anything. Eighth day. We don't baptize because they have the answers to a few short questions about the gospel. We baptize because God put them in the covenant line. And He entrusted them to us to share the gospel, to teach them how to live a life that will please God. Teach them, don't do those things He says don't do. And here's the list of stuff you should do. And when you do it, there's a blessing. <clears throat> I may be preaching to the choir. I don't know. I know I'm a sinner. And I have failed drastically, oftentimes. But it's a little bit like playing football. You know, that linebacker comes across and he creams you. And it hurts. And you can choose to lie there and say, time out, I quit. Or you can get back up and get back in the game. When we sin, we know what to do. Confess it. Repent. Do what you can to undo the damage and get back into Christian life. You don't say, well, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I'll quit the church. No. Jesus doesn't give up on us. He promises, he promises innocence for our confession and repentance. That's great news. Great news that our country sincerely needs. Well, my covenant will be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. And if you don't baptize, what? Uh, look at verse 14. I have, by the way, I'm not anti-Baptist. I have many, many Baptist friends. But I will tell you up front, many of them have said to me multiple times, <clears throat> by waiting to baptize till they're old enough to profess faith in Christ, we have a more pure church, and we have less sin in the church. But a couple of them have also commented, if I want to do a church Bible study Friday night, I go down to the local county jail. There's no magic to waiting until a kid is 12 or 14 or whatever and letting them confess Christ and come into church. It is not a more pure church. They don't have better outcomes with their kids than those who are, are baptized as infants and raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And in fact, what happens? Any uncircumcised, not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin will be cut off from my people. He has broken my covenant. He is an outlaw against God. And we were complicit in that if we were not disciplining, discipling. Encourage. 
all of us, we, we never called, when I was a kid, we never called any adults by their first name, but there was Uncle Joe, it was Aunt Edie. They were part of the family. And by the way, they knew they were authorized, they were deputed to bring whatever disciplinary or correctional uh, encouragement that we, we needed. And there is that role. It isn't you being mean or trying to impose yourself. It's you loving the kid enough and loving the parents enough that when a kid is out of control and you talk with them, you intervene. This one who is not circumcised, who is not baptized, has broken my covenant and cannot claim the blessings of covenant. We're not better than they. The Lord, by His grace, has put us in a denomination where I can say anything as long as they're right out of here, right? Uh, and if you happen to disagree with it, if we can talk about it and we see it, we're good to go. I'm thankful to be born, baptized, raised, educated, called in this denomination, called to be faithful. And that's a call to all of us. In a moment, we will sing to his praise, Psalm 51D. You may have noticed that we uh, didn't get to Isaac. We'll get to him a little bit later. Um, the covenant which was made there in uh, the portion we read immediately applies to Isaac. Again, when you read this stuff, read looking for Jesus. Where do you see Jesus in this? Grew up in the church in a small town and was parented, prepared. Where do we see us and our kids? We'll sing 51D in just a moment. Lord God, your word is true. It is preached and taught and shared by sinners. Don't let our sins get in the road. Don't let us, by our silence, culpable silence, or by misspeaking, don't let us discourage babes in Christ. Don't let us let them go astray without being that shepherd who brings them back, who provides the fresh living water and the green pastures. Lord, use us as, as instruments of your grace that we might disciple future generations and we might begin to share the gospel with those around us and disciple them that they could go from this man-centered religion of America to a biblical Christianity. And we don't ask you to do it so that we have a name, a reputation, whether for our family or our denomination. We don't ask it for us so that we can pat ourselves on the back and take pride in our academic acumen. We ask it for the sake, yes, of Christ and His glory, that He would be known and seen in all the world and all the nations, most of whom have come into our country. And we ask it for the sake of these children, these young ones you have entrusted 
yes to father and mother, but yes to grandparents, and so on, and yes to the church. Oh Lord, be at work, save the lost, build up the saints, show us another generation of those who love the Lord and cannot, as Jason prayed, cannot remember when they did not know Christ. And we ask it for the sake of your kingdom worldwide. For the sake of your glorious name, your glorious majesty, we pray it. Amen.